Sing it out. This is our destiny. The battle's already won. Make it loud. We're giving everything. By the cross, we have overcome. Hello, and welcome to the Home Bible Study Podcast. Welcome to the study of Jonah. We have been going through this great uh, little book. Um, and uh, I say little because it's like maybe two pages in my Bible, but there is a lot of information here, a lot of things to unpack. I'm not going to be able to unpack everything that could uh, possibly be unpacked from this study because there's just too much. But I am definitely going to attempt to bring out what it is that the Lord has for us to see today. So if without further ado, if you would t turn to the book of Jonah, and we're going to pick up in chapter three. Last time we saw, we studied chapter two, and, and now we pick up in chapter three, and um, it says, and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, so I know a lot of, been, a lot of things have been said about the mercy and the grace of God to come to Jonah uh, a second time. But um, hopefully we're going to see through the study of this, the rest of this book, that the grace of God to Jonah, the grace of God that's manifested to the Ninevites, to everybody involved in this account is just overwhelming, you know. This whole book is a testament to that grace and to that mercy and to the, really the kindness and goodness of God. And that's something that we have to be reminded of. And the only place we're going to get that is in the scripture. Um, the world we live in is very anti-God. And the message of the world is in opposition of God, the, in opposition of his goodness and um, the only place that we can really get a true and accurate picture of the one whom we have to do is in the scriptures. That's why it's so important. And I just exhort you and encourage you to study the word, study on your own, uh, listen to these uh, lessons, um, make it a part of your life to be in the word of God. Don't allow anything or anyone to come between your study, your meditation, and your growth. It's so important for all that God has for you to accomplish and all the things that he wants to show you about himself. There, there are wonderful things that we still have not seen. And as we grow in grace, he um, exposes us to more of his goodness, his character, his person. And I want that for you. So, um, but here we see um, where the Lord has come unto Jonah. The word of the Lord has come unto Jonah a second time. Um, up until now, we haven't seen in this account a lot of conversation between Jonah and God. Jonah had a lot of things to say to the mariners, to the men on the ship. Um, but... Not much conversation between him and the Lord. 
uh, in verse two, in the, the verse two, in chapter two, we saw where Jonah cried out to the Lord in his affliction. So we saw that the scenario was uh, created to snap Jonah back to his senses. And it took something as extreme as being thrown overboard and to be swallowed by this fish. But that's what it took for Jonah. And God knows exactly what it takes for you, what it takes for me. And he's able to uh, orchestrate those things. And we need to be sensitive to the fact that the things that come into our lives, the people, the situations and scenarios, that these are all filtered through God's purpose and plan for us. And we should always be looking to him to know, you know, what his will is for us in the interaction with these people, because he definitely has something for us in everything. And um, it's always a blessing. So here we see the restoration, the full restoration of fellowship between the Lord Jesus uh, and Jonah in that now they're talking. Uh, uh, the Lord is talking to Jonah and Jonah is responding. He's again speaking directly to Jonah and Jonah is responding to that. So um, let's see how the grace of God has been extended to Jonah here in this second opportunity to obey. Um, but also, I think there's another message here in the use of the word the second time, the word second time, because we're going to find out that there is a much larger, I think, message than just what's happening to Jonah. With scripture, there's a near view and a far view. The near view is what's happening at the time in the context of the account and the things surrounding it. But because the word of God is eternal, uh, there is a far view. There's an application that goes well into eternity. And uh, since we haven't made it to eternity yet, that application applies to where we are in the age that we live in. And I think that we're going to see here, and it's not a stretch by any means to see that in the first account of this, this book of Jonah, starting in chapter one, when the Lord came to Jonah, and he says, the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. When that initially happened, Jonah disobeyed. Jonah went the opposite direction of where God had told him to go. And I feel like there's a um, very close similarity to Adam. Because, you know, Adam did the same thing. God gave him instruction, said, hey, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of uh, good and evil. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. What does Adam do? He eats of the fruit. He went the wrong direction. So Jonah, in that sense, is kind of like Adam, right? He's like man who is takes his eyes off the Lord and decides to go his own route, you know? And this, all the trouble, all the things that happened to him were a direct result of that decision, of that choice. 
And the same thing is true with us. When we take our eyes off the Lord, we head down a path that could lead us in a lot of places, but it's never anywhere good. So God, God is able to make good of that. But certainly the experience for of Jonah of being um, drowned in, in the belly of a fish, uh, he would have rather avoided. And the same thing is true for us. We can avoid the rough and tumble way by just obeying God. But my point being that here we see the word of the Lord came unto Jonah a second time. And I believe that now we're on the course where Jonah's life is in line with the second Adam, even the Lord Jesus, and that he came um, a second time to correct all the things, all the the mistakes, all the problems, all the bad things that resulted from the first Adam. And we know that this, uh, this is a, a truth because the Lord said, you know, I won't give you any other sign other than the sign of the prophet Jonah. And we know that points directly to resurrection, right? But also we have to see that there's a message uh, that was given unto the Gentiles uh, as a result of this resurrection and the, the, that it was impactful. And so I think here we see that being kind of set up to see how that uh, the second Adam was going to come with power and salvation. And we see that here implied very strongly, I think, uh, in this account in uh, chapter three. So just kind of keep that in mind as we study. Uh, I think it's very interesting um, uh, to uh, kind of uh, have that in the back of your mind as we study this. So first, let's examine this from the near view of Jonah. I think that's what we need to do initially. And it says, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Uh, very clear instruction. We see how the Lord gives very clear instruction. There was nothing said about, hey, you shouldn't have went the way you went. Uh, you should have listened to me the first time. Because God's not petty like that. God has a plan and purpose for everything that he does. And we have to understand that we may not be able to see that from our perspective, but ultimately we will be able to see it. And we have to trust the Lord in faith. And so here the Lord says to go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Uh, verse 3, so Jonah rose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Very simple. Uh, Jonah had learned the lesson. Jonah was now clear that regardless of what he thought, what he felt, whatever came into his mind, that the best thing for him to do, and the same thing is true for us, is to obey God. Bottom line. Uh do what God says. So Jonah arose and he went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And if we could just learn that one lesson from Jonah, we would be far, 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 far ahead of many, many people. 
in our relationship and our knowledge and our growth. If we could just get to the point, if I could get to the point, if you could get to the point of just um, obeying God, that's the challenge. And we have everything we need to obey God. Uh, it's important for us to understand that we are fully equipped to obey God, that it's the world, the flesh, and the devil, you know, our own sin that causes us to uh, not obey God. And um, it's important for us to, to know that about ourselves and to always be looking to the Lord to show us uh, and to lead us and guide us because we cannot lean on our own understanding. That is That will lead you in a predicament where you're in the belly of a fish. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city of three days journey. So Nineveh was big. Nineveh was not like a small city. Um, the reference to the greatness of Nineveh is not only the size, but also the power and influence that Nineveh had at that time. It was like, you know, it had the power and position that an Egypt had back um, uh, earlier um, it was just uh, a very powerful, feared, revered type uh, of city. And it was also physically large. To give us some kind of perspective of that, we see that it's recorded that it took three days journey. Now, that's walking, three days. And I don't know about you, but uh, that's a lot of walking. Um, that gives me a good perspective of the size of the city. Now, there's been excavations done that have shown that Nineveh was only part of this great city that was um, kind of triangular in shape. It was on the bordered by these rivers, so it had like natural protection. And there are several cities that were within this kind of triangle. And uh, Nineveh was the chief of those cities. And so it was named for Nineveh, but there was other cities that were um, in this group, and that is what we're referring to when we talk about Nineveh proper. It's these uh, amalgamation of cities with Nineveh as the head of it. So Jonah embarks on this ministry to the cruel and sinful nation of thousands and thousands of people. Now, you got to understand that from Jonah's perspective, being a member of the northern kingdom, this was the enemy. This was the cruel enemy that had done so many cruel things and threatened the northern kingdom on numerous occasions. And Jonah probably um, felt that in a very personal way, his family or uh close relatives were uh, victims of the cruelty of Nineveh. So he obviously had a um, pretty intense hatred of these people. So he didn't want to go. But here, in obedience to God, he is doing what God has told him to do. And he's going to these people. So let's consider what Jonah looked like, his appearance. Uh, from accounts of other people who have survived being swallowed by sea creatures for several days, believe it or not, this has happened uh, before, and there's many accounts of it um, that you can do research on. But from those accounts, 
we can see that the people who were swallowed by these different uh, sea creatures, fish, sharks, uh, different uh, sea animals, that their physical appearance was altered by the animal's stomach acid. Uh, they'd be inside the, the, uh, the animal and the animal would try to digest them. That's just how it works. And it would alter their physical appearance. So Jonah was probably, you know, a fairly dark-skinned fellow, being of that, uh, the area where he uh, was from in the uh, Northern Kingdom. Um, uh, and naturally, you know, he'd probably be relatively dark-skinned. But it's hypothesized that being inside of that fish, this great fish, uh, made his skin to be pale, like an uh, like a pale albino hue, um, kind of a purplish yellow, as a result of his time in this fish. So he probably had a very striking appearance, and we have to consider that when we talk about him going to minister to these people, because his appearance certainly would have had an effect. Uh, in perpetuating his ministry. If I was to go into a neighborhood, maybe the neighborhood where I grew up, and I started, you know, crying out, say, hey, God is going to destroy everybody in so many days if you don't turn to the Lord. That will cause quite a stir, right? People will be like, hey, this guy's going up and down proclaiming destruction from God. You know, they'd probably think I was crazy. But what would accentuate that is if my physical appearance had been altered to where that I really stood out. That would really add uh, weight to what I was saying by, you know, people would start talking. Hey, what's going on? Look at this guy. I would be more of an oddity than normal. So this is kind of what Jonah experienced, right? So it's safe to say that his appearance was striking. Uh, to say the least. Um, so God has set the stage for this ministry. We see often in Jonah where it says God prepared a fish or God prepared a wind. Or, you know, we have to understand that all of this was orchestrated by the sovereign uh, God of the universe, that he prepared everything and had it all come together just at the right time so that his will would be accomplished. And that's the same thing that's true with us in our lives. We have to understand that everything that's happening in our lives, every detail, no matter how small, God has orchestrated these things. And, you know, it's hard for some people to believe that God is so involved in the minutia or the details of our lives. But what you don't understand and what we have to understand is that it's all little stuff to God. Nothing that's happening to us is, you know, very consequential to him, right? Uh, he uh, lives outside, above, and apart from his creation. So it's not like it's affecting him directly unless he allows it to. <laughs> so these details are important to him because it's all the same to him from his perspective. From our perspective, some things seem larger than others. But to God, it's all very important to him. So 
he has orchestrated all these things for a purpose. It's a part of his plan and he's watching it unfold. And it's kind of hard for us to um, kind of understand that he's intimately involved with our lives, but at the same time, he's not affected by the, thing, the same things that affect us. So, But that's the way it is. That's why he's God. So this is what's happened. He's prepared and set the stage for this ministry of Jonah. Um, and the same thing is true for us. Like I said, before we, we are sent to witness the people, uh, the Lord has already prepared their hearts to receive what we have to say. Uh, if they're going to be saved, it's because the Lord has done the work ahead of us. It's not that we save anybody. He does it. It's all a part. He calls men. He speaks to them. He prepares their hearts. And he allows us the privilege of ministering the gospel to them and witnessing his power and salvation. But it's all of God. So that's what's happening here with Jonah. The Lord has prepared an entire nation. I mean, just meditate on that. An entire nation of men, women, and children to receive his message. And Jonah has been given the privilege to witness this. Um, how amazing to think of the power and purpose of God to prepare an entire nation all at once. You know, we, we need to be encouraged by this to know that uh, we look around, and I know me, I, I look around and I don't see a lot of people jumping on the Bible bus. And so it's sometimes a little discouraging, but I have to understand that, you know, there are, God has his people throughout the world and they are um, just like me, uh, looking to him for leading and guidance and they're growing in grace and he's using them to perpetuate his purpose. And we have to be encouraged and know that through accounts like this, even if we're not able to see it. <clears throat> God is able to do this. And we as believers um, get so intimidated because we think, you know, salvation depends on us. But it really does not. Salvation is of the Lord. And that's the message of Jonah, that we have to look to the Lord for salvation. And salvation is from him, of him, and by him. So let's go forth accordingly um, and just proclaim the word of the Lord and trust him. That's the encouragement that I've been given and I hope that that encourages you in your life as well. So three days journey. That gives Jonah a lot of time to think about all the things that the Lord has done um, to him and by him. And also the true implications of what, you know, all this will mean to the Ninevites if they respond positively. He's thinking about that. He's thinking, now, wait a minute. I'm about to go minister to these people. And what if they all respond in a positive way? What does that mean? What does that mean for my relationship to them? These people who I hate, are they going to be my forever with me in eternity? Are they going to be resurrected to the kingdom just like I am? All of these things are going through his mind. And he's really meditating on what the implications of what it would be if they actually respond. And he already has an idea that God is going to extend grace to them. So he knows the potential is there. So this is what he's 
thinking about as he um, gets closer to the city. Um, in verse 4, And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. <clears throat> so we get a little more insight into what the message was that God gave him. God not only told him to go preach against the city, but he gave him details. He said, you tell them in 40 days, uh, they don't um, turn from their evil ways in 40 days, um, the whole city will be overthrown. So this was a powerful message, I think. I think we need to examine the Sermon of Jonah because it was so effective, right? An entire city, a entire nation of people were saved. So it's important for us to see as much as we can about this sermon for those of us who are teachers because and those of us who have the opportunity to witness to others because this is an example of a very effective and powerful um, witness. So I want to take a look at it a little bit here. So <clears throat> uh, I think one of the things that was very powerful about this message is he says, yet 40 days. That could... Um, be a very instrumental fact in the effectiveness of this ministry. Now, I don't want to take away from the power of God and uh, in this and saving these people. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, I, I want to acknowledge the fact that they were all saved because of the power of God, period. But I think that, you know, it's safe to say that the message that was given to them had an effect on them. And I believe that God had prepared them, their hearts and minds to receive this message ahead of time. And I think that that 40 days was instrumental in invoking the last worldwide judgment of God, because these people knew about the flood and how long the flood lasted. Uh, all of these people are descendants of um, Noah and his family. All the people who are on the earth right now, with the time that Jonah ministered and, uh, to these people, and even today, we're all descendants of Noah and his family. And so they were pretty close, a lot closer than we are to the account of the flood. So um, they knew what the flood was and they had far more details on uh, a closer to a firsthand account than we do. And I think that these nations understood that the God of creation is the God that brought the flood. That was understood. All nations knew that. Um, they may not have uh, lived their lives according to that knowledge, but they knew of the God that brought the flood. And that was still, I think, something that was a powerful and effective ministry at that time. And he said, yet 40 days. And I just tend to believe that, um, that, in, that evoked the, the God that was the God that destroyed the entire earth by a flood. And so it added some weight, you know, to the ministry and it gave them some context, these Ninevites, and it made them think, you know, we're, the way we're living right now is not very different from the way that everyone was living prior to the flood. 
And we know that uh, the Bible says that the thoughts of man was evil continually. You know, that's all they thought of and that's all they did. And that's, that's a good picture of the Ninevites and their culture. So I think that was an effective uh, ministry that, uh, that Jonah said. And, and God told him, you have 40 days and I'll destroy you. Um, we also have to consider Jonah's appearance. It must have been, you know, must have caused quite a stir when people saw him as he moved through the city and he would minister and he would tell people about this coming destruction and the news would spread, you know, people, Hey, have you seen this guy? He's going through the city and he's saying that we're all going to be destroyed. That God is going to destroy us. And have you seen his appearance? You know what? And I'm sure that uh, it gave him an opportunity when they said, Hey, why do you look like you look? And he, he gave them the story. He told them the story of uh, chapters one, two, and uh, all the things that were in chapters one and two that happened to him, that he was thrown overboard, that God caused this wind and a tempest to come that was going to destroy the ship, and how that uh, he had to, they cast lots and a lot fell on him. And, you know, God originally sent him to Nineveh and he went the opposite direction. And God, uh, put him in the belly of a fish and delivered him to witness. And, you know, that must have added a lot of weight to his, um, his ministry for them to be able to see the physical evidence of his story and to know that, you know, he didn't want to come to Nineveh in the first place, which they could, certainly understand why, you know, they understood that that was not something that needed an explanation, but that God, uh, used his sovereign power and providence to get him where he wanted him to be. And, you know, that affected these people. They're like, Oh, you know, this is serious. Uh, God really wanted him here to give us this message. And if he can't, uh, avoid God's will and purpose, then how can we, you know, you can just see this developing as he moved through the city and how uh, God would use that to minister to these people and how the word was spread and how crowds would start gathering. And um, it's pretty amazing. It's amazing to see how God brought all these things together uh, in this kind of perfect storm, we like to call it. And, um, and we see how that it was powerful and effectual. Uh, and it kind of mirrors the storm from um, chapter one, how the God brought that storm together and the salvation of those mariners that came as a result. Now we're seeing it on a much grander scale. You know, it's the same God, it's the same power, uh, and it should be a comfort to us to see that. That's the God that we serve today. In the same way that he's able to bring all these things together to add weight and power to our witness and our testimony. He, you know, he did that for Jonah. He can do it for us. So we should just be encouraged and go out and just share our testimony. Witnessing to people is just telling them about all that the Lord has done in your life, that what he's doing in your life. And we should be always ready to share that. You know, it's really important for us to understand the, um, the power of just sharing our personal testimony.
We don't have to do anything, you know, grand or, um, you know, big. Just share our testimony. God will do all, he will do all the big stuff. He will add the weight and the power to it. So it's it's just a, it's just amazing to see how these people responded to his testimony and all the things that is, you know, that have happened to him. Um, in verse five, uh, so the people of Nineveh believed God. That's the bottom line. These people believed God. Um, that is in and of itself, just an amazing sentence to read. The people of Nineveh. And you can put emphasis on each part of that sentence. So, so the people of Nineveh believe God. Or, uh, so the people of Nineveh <laughs> believe God. You know, you can put emphasis on any part of that. So the people of Nineveh believe God. It's just an amazing statement. And there's so much there to meditate upon. Uh, it's just the culmination of the plan and purpose of God in the lives of these people. So if there's anybody that you've been praying for, that you've been ministering to, but you haven't seen um, the results of that in a positive way, just know that God is able to deliver whomever he wants to deliver and he has a plan and purpose for you and for those individuals and to continue to lift them to the Lord uh, because as long as they draw breath there's an opportunity for them to be saved so be encouraged by this ministry that Jonah had to these people let it be an encouragement to us to continue to uh, minister and be faithful to the Lord in that so what's interesting to me is that Jonah was a contemporary of Amos. Uh, and I don't know if you know a lot about Amos. He's one of the minor prophets here. Uh, he ministered these great things to Israel. And if you study Amos, which I encourage you to do, you'll see he had this great ministry. He was just like this guy that was like from this small little town that was near uh, Bethlehem. It's kind of like a country guy, you know, and he uh, he was a he describes himself as a picker of sycamore fruit. Right. So he you know, he he was not, you know, very learned. He was not like, you know, someone that you would imagine to be a prophet. But God called him and used him in a very powerful ministry to the northern kingdom. Uh, but they rejected his ministry. They rejected it, you know, and subsequently they were taken into captivity and removed from the land. So it's interesting to see how that Amos went to the people of God and ministered to them and they didn't listen. But here, these people of Nineveh, they listen. Uh, that just goes to show you that salvation is of the Lord. It's in his hands. He directs all these things. And let us be warned, I think, as the people of God, that we don't fall into the same trap as the northern kingdom. That God is sending us messages. He's ministering to us. He's teaching us things. And it's important for us to yield ourselves to what he's telling us and to listen and to respond in a positive way. 
because otherwise the consequences um, are not something we want to deal with, I promise you. So it's important for us to be like the Ninevites and to believe God. Uh, it's very important for us to really meditate upon that, I think. So next we see uh, actions that from the Ninevites that are in line with people who believe. Uh, not only does it say they believe, we can see the actions that are a result of belief. And anytime there is faith involved, there's going to be actions that support those beliefs. You're going to see a person working their belief outward. You're going to see it in, in their lives. You're going to see it in what they do, what they don't do. You're going to hear it in what they say and what they don't say. Uh, it's really important that we understand that our lives are a testimony to others, regardless if we're aware of it or not. So if we are looking to the Lord, we're keeping our eyes on him and we're walking by faith, then we are going to minister to other people, whether we're conscious of it or not. So these people have um, actions that support what they say they believe. And it says, and uh, the Ninevites proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least. So they believed God and then they had actions that showed their belief. They put on sackcloth, which, which was a uh, way to show humility, right? And it says from the greatest to the least. That means from the, the greatest uh, in power to the least in power. The greatest in size and age to the least in age. Everybody was uh, put on this sackcloth and they proclaimed a fast. So this was the response. This is a positive response to divine revelation. God says, I'm going to destroy you if you don't cease from your sin. So what do they do? They cease from their sin. They cease from their sin. Nobody's sinning and fasting. You know, they have ceased from their sin and they are doing everything, everything that they can to show God outwardly what has happened to them inwardly. So there's an outward uh, manifestation of inward growth, of inward activity. And the same thing is true for us. Whatever God is doing with us on the inside is going to manifest itself outwardly to others. Right. That's where the verse comes in that says, Work out your salvation, you know, work your salvation outwardly, meaning the work that's done on the inside, the yielding to God, the, the believing God, that's going to have an outward manifestation. So um, that's what's happening with these people. Uh, and this is what the word of God can do. Uh, this, is what, this is the power of the Word of God in the lives of people, uh, the lives of His people. This is what He says is His fully bared arm of salvation. Verse 6, um, For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from the throne, and he laid his robe from, from him, and covered himself with sackcloth and set in ashes. So here we see from the greatest to the least, the king of this nation is responding the same way. He's taking his, he's leaving his throne 
his exalted position, he's humbling himself before God. He's removing his robe, his royal robes that, you know, show his position and power. And he's covering himself in sackcloth. And he's humbling himself before God. And he's sitting in ashes uh, to show his humility and uh, his yielding to the, to the word and power of God. This is amazing. This is amazing just to see, even reading this account. So here we see the power, I think, of great leaders and that their example to people is effectual. It's really important for leaders, particularly those who are believers, to be an example to the people who are around them. And even if they're not conscious of it, they are. And, you know, a nation uh, here is now undivisible unto God. They're all unified unto God. And that's not something that I've ever seen in my lifetime. And it may not be something that I will ever see. I don't know. But it's amazing to see the power of leaders who have been affected by the word of God. Men who are under the um, influence, leadership, and guidance of God and the benefit that it has on uh, all those who they lead, it's amazing to see. And here we see an example of how that this king uh, stepped into that role. Um, and, and the same thing is true today. Uh, um, there's many men who are in positions of leadership that are Christians. And it's a difficult position to be in, right? Because you're steering a boat that wants to go in just the opposite direction. But we need to pray for these people. It's uh, so important that we lift them up and we pray for them because they have a um, very important role in, in the lives of uh, the people that they serve. So here we see this in this king, he, the, from the greatest to the least. Um, Nineveh was aware of their sin. They're very conscious of their sin. Nobody is saved without first being made aware of their sin. And Nineveh was aware of their sin. And they knew that they fully deserved destruction and judgment. There was no doubt in their mind that they merited this destruction that was proclaimed to them by Jonah. And they knew that um, their number had come up and they responded in the only way that anyone should when they're faced with the, the consequence of sin. And that is to cast yourself upon the mercy of God. Jonah had revealed something of the grace of God to them from the account of his experience. You know, he, he ministered to them and told them about how that God had dealt with him and dealt with the mariners on the ship. So they had an idea of what grace looked like. So that gave them the hope to, to that, hey, well, let's cast ourselves upon the mercy of God. In verse 7, and he caused it, this is the king, to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles, saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Okay, let them not feed nor drink water. So people nor the animals could eat anything. This is very purposeful. This is not a casual response. This is a very purposeful response to say, not only are we going to deny ourselves from 
eating, but we're not even going to let our animals eat or drink anything. That was, they had to be very conscious and place these animals in a situation where they couldn't eat anything. So this was very deliberate, is my point. And so these people were, these people were sincere. This was not something that was just done uh, as lip service. They were very sincere. They had been affected uh, by the, the ministry of Jonah and the warning that he gave and the testimony that he gave of his experience up to this point. In verse 8, But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. So not only did they, not only were they deliberate in keeping the animals and themselves from eating anything, not only did they cover themselves and the animals, right, with sackcloth, but they also cried mightily unto God. So they didn't depend only on their actions to deliver them. They cried unto God. What did they cry for? Mercy. They cried for mercy. The same mercy that they saw in the testimony of Jonah that was um, given to those mariners on that ship. The, the mariners who faced destruction, immediate death and destruction, they they said, well, we're going to use our 40 days to cry out to God. We're not going to use our 40 days that we have left to continue in sin and party. We're going to cry out to God because we know that there's grace and mercy in him. And Jonah had to have communicated that. Even without trying, he would have communicated that in his witness and testimony. And it wasn't because he cared so much for the um, people of Nineveh, but he witnessed the truth of God and grace and mercy is in him. So it says, um, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, cry mightily unto God. I'm in verse eight. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way. So they cried unto God and there was a change in them. They turned from their evil way. They recognized that their way was evil and they turned from it. And from the violence that is in their hands. So it, they were known as very cruel and violent people. And they recognized that they, that was what they were known for. And they were conscious of it. It wasn't like there was something that they, oh, I didn't know I was violent. They knew they were violent. But they turned from that. And the, the whole city did this. Verse 9. Uh, and this was their hope. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not. Now they're almost verbatim mirroring the words of the mariners that uh, remember the in chapter one when the ship master um, came to Jonah in verse six, he says, so the ship master, I'm in verse one of, uh, of chapter one of Jonah, verse six. So the ship master came to him and said unto him, what meanest thou, sleeper? Arise and call upon God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And this is the same thing here in verse 9 of um, chapter 3, where he says, Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? So I believe that Jonah's account of what happened to him and his experience spread throughout this city and everybody saw hope in the, what God did in the storm. And they thought, well, you know, how are we any different from those mariners? If God saved them, maybe he'll save us as well.
So notice the king quoting, you know, like I said, almost verbatim what the shipmaster said. This, I believe, is the message to the unsaved. Why would you, after hearing of the fierce anger and sure judgment of God that's coming, not appeal to him? That's, that's what we should do when we minister to people. When we're ministering to people who are unsaved, we should point them to the grace of God. We should definitely tell them of the judgment that is coming, right? And that it's severe. But we can't miss also telling them that the of the grace of God and the kindness and the long suffering and that they should call out to him. You know, there's no other message to unsaved people. We can tell them about the Lord Jesus all day, about his goodness, about his kindness, but it has to be in the context of encouraging them to call out to him for salvation because that's what they need because his goodness and kindness is not going to be extended to them in hell and the lake of fire that's just the the um reality his goodness and kindness is extended now today is a day of salvation and he says if you hear my voice then you respond positively you know, and the only way to the only positive response for them is to call out, cry out to God for for salvation. And there is an earnestness that is communicated in the fact that they cried out to God. It's similar to the earnestness that Jonah cried out to God in his uh, by reason of his affliction when he was in the belly of the fish. So um, it's the same type of peril, but worse. You know, it's an immediate peril that we have to communicate, that there's no time for tomorrow because they're not promised that, that they have to uh, embrace this opportunity given them through God sending you to minister to them. That's the, the important message, that salvation is of the Lord. Uh, salvation is in a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. In verse 10, it says, And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them, and he did it not. Here we see God's response, that he saw what they did, and he did not bring the destruction that was promised. Now, verse 10 is completely from the perspective of man. And we have to understand that there's a lot of people that stumble and fumble here at verse 10 because it appears to communicate some things about God and his nature and his person that uh, are contradictory to the rest of Scripture. So when that happens, we have to understand that the problem is never with the word of God. It's always with us. And we have to try to understand and look to the Lord to give us direction. So here, to put it simply, uh, God saw their works and turned, and as God saw their works that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he said he would do unto them, and he did it not. So first of all, God does not repent. To repent means to change your mind. God doesn't change his mind. God doesn't ever have to change his mind. He is immutable, is the word that's used uh, in the doctrine, that he's unchanging. Um, but this is from the perspective of the Ninevites. From their perspective, God changed his mind. 
that makes complete sense. But we know that God didn't change his mind. And I believe that God expresses this way to us so that we can get a better understanding of the reaction or the response of the Ninevites. Because the Ninevites, they knew nothing about God other than uh, what they had heard from the uh, flood account that was passed down and from what Jonah had ministered to them. Now, they knew that the God of the Israelites was a very powerful God and was the God that was uh, often linked with the flood. But they didn't know a thing about God other than what they had learned uh, just in passing. So here they have learned who God is. And Jonah has brought this message to them. And so that from their perspective, God has turned and repented. But the reality is, is that God does not change. Uh, and God is and the, the reason why this is expressed this way is to communicate to us the response of the Ninevites and from their perspective, from the perspective of man. And just to support the fact that God does not change, we have verses like uh, James 117, uh, Numbers 2319, 1 Samuel 1529. Those are just a few that talk about the immutability of God and that he doesn't change, just so that we can clear that up. So what do we owe as an explanation to this? Well, clearly, like I said, it's written from the perspective of the Ninevites. From their perspective, there has been a change. The judgment was so sure. The judgment was, they were so convinced and they so embraced the word of God and believed that God was going to, um, to judge them that they fully expected and, and believed that they deserved that judgment. And from their perspective, God relented from that. He, he changed his mind. But we know that uh, that's not the case. But God wants us to understand the seriousness of the situation, that this was not just an idle threat, that he had every intention of destroying them. Um, God doesn't say things just to say things. If he says something, there's a purpose behind it, and uh, he's fully invested in his word and i think that's the point of why it's communicated this way and we also know that god does not do evil it says that, that he relented of the evil well from their perspective that's the way they saw it you know but but these people don't know god they are just now entering into this relationship with god and they need to learn and that's going to be the role of jonah and the nation israel to help teach these people and share the, the truth with them. And that's the big problem with Jonah. That's what he's not looking forward to. That's what he was contemplating that. What if they actually respond positively? Then I'll have to have a relationship with these people. And that's, um, well, that's where we are now. So uh, we know that God is incapable of doing evil and that the clear intent is of this word is the calamity that was promised in 40 days that God had uh, decided not to bring this calamity upon them. Uh, and that's, that's what, what is meant by that verse. So verse 10 gives us the perspective of the Ninevites after realizing that the Lord had delivered them from this judgment. Now let's look at this account in the light 
of the Lord Jesus saying that no sign will be given you except the sign of Jonah. I want us to kind of take some time to, to kind of look at that. In Matthew 12, 38-45, the Lord referred to Jonah and specifically him being in a large fish for three days and three nights. Many have, I think, correctly applied this to be a direct reference to the Lord Jesus being resurrected on the third day. So I ask you that in faith, you will make an even broader application of the sign of Jonah. Uh, that, that is that within the bonds of scripture, uh, I believe in, and it's not in any way a private interpretation. Um, the sign of Jonah is more than just resurrection, but I believe it's a precursor to the church age itself. And by the very existence of the church, a testimony to everyone, especially the Jews and their leadership, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Messiah spoken of by Scripture. That Jonah was a little small picture of what was to come in the church age, that God would send a message to these Gentiles, a message that involved uh, resurrection, uh, a message that would be powerful, and he would prepare these Gentiles to receive that message and that they would respond positively and that there would be a large number of Gentiles that would be saved. And this is the case. When the, when the church first began, the beginning of the church age, they were all Jews. There was no Gentiles. There was all Jews. The Jews were the first to, to be saved. The, the, at Pentecost, uh, those were all Jewish men. And then it spread throughout the Jewish community. And then there was uh, Paul and there was Barnabas. These men that God um, set upon a specific ministry to the Gentiles. So just as the men of Nineveh, I believe, will rise up at the judgment with that generation to condemn it, the church is a clear testament of the salvation, right, that was to come. While we as a church may provoke some of the Israelites to jealousy, the fact that Nineveh, a completely Gentile city, was delivered should cause us who live in this church age to rejoice that we've been kind of grafted into the Old Testament economy. This is where we are. This is the where the church is. Now, there's other places that reference the church specifically, but this is obviously a... Um, uh, one of those um, one of those references uh, God has always had us in his plan and purpose uh, and he refers to the church as the pearl of great price um, and, and and that's who we are and here we see the existence of the church foreshadowed in Nineveh and to me it's a great blessing and a comfort to know that you know the church just didn't materialize out of nowhere that God has always purposed for the church to be. God saved Nineveh, that great city, and now he's calling out the body of Christ in our time, in our age, with the expressed intent of making us members of another great city, the New Jerusalem, the heavenly city that will be our eternal home. There's so many parallels here. You know, it's really amazing.
in the beginning of the church age, after the word came to the Gentiles, um, and they found out the Gentiles were, were receiving the Holy Spirit, all these Jewish people realized that, hey, these Gentiles are being saved. They're receiving the Holy Spirit. It caused quite a stir amongst the Jewish Christian community. In Acts chapter 15, it records the council meeting at Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas were our Gentile advocates. You know, they were telling everybody, look, we're, we're ministering to these Gentiles and they're receiving the spirit just like us. And the debate was described, the debate was described as very sharp, you know, as iron sharpens iron. They discussed this and the fact was substantiated Gentiles are being saved. Uh, imagine the struggle that would arise as Jonah would return to the northern kingdom with the news of his mission and the grace of God displayed to Nineveh. Uh, if not for the sovereignty of God, I don't think this record would have even made it in the scripture. These Jewish people were not thrilled uh, that, uh, and they did not, I'm sure, readily receive Jonah's testimony. But um, here we have it. Um, here we have it that God saved Gentiles, and not just a few, but an entire city, an entire nation of Gentiles. This was so contradictory to the mindset of the Jewish people at this time. I mean, they were looking for a Messiah to come and squash the Gentile nations around them and uh, to beat them into submission. They were looking for the second advent. So they, this, this, where does this fit? How does this fit into the plan and purpose of God? I'm sure they were all perplexed. So next time we're going to take up chapter four and hopefully see the struggle that was inside the soul of this prophet Jonah and how that's indicative of probably others in the nation Israel and even the struggle we see at the beginning of the church age. But let's be encouraged by the salvation power displayed in chapter 3. And whenever we need to be reminded of the power of God in salvation, just come back to Jonah so that we can be reminded and encouraged that salvation is of the Lord and we need to look to him for it. Anybody whom we uh, minister to or we want to see saved, um, just keep this in mind. That as long as they draw breath, the Lord can save them and be encouraged by what he did with the Ninevites. The Ninevites chose humility before God. They made it clear that they understood the right God has to do whatever he wills with his creation. They responded in that way. Nineveh also proclaimed and acknowledged their responsibility to live righteously before a holy God. They understood and recognized their sin and they said, put that sin away. You know, it's, we have to uh, go the, op the other direction. We have to turn from our sin because we have a responsibility to this uh, holy God. Uh, this is the beginning of wisdom. Man has no hope in and of himself or in any other means. Only in the Lord Jesus is there salvation. So... <clears throat> I earnestly ask that those of you who are listening believe God in his word. Salvation is of the Lord. Cry out to him while you still can. You know, if you're unsaved, cry out to the Lord. 
There's a reason why he has this message to come to you. And if you can feel him speaking to you, if you can feel in his presence, then cry out to him. Um, it may be that you're numbered amongst his elect. And if you are, then you will be saved. Um, that's what the Ninevites did. They cried out to the Lord and they um, display the actions of belief. And that's, um, that's what the Lord has called um, for all people who believe in him to do is to, uh, to believe on him and his word. Let's close. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this message to the Ninevites. And I pray that it would encourage our hearts to minister according to your will, that we would be encouraged to know that uh, you've gone ahead, ahead of us and ahead of your witness to prepare the souls that um, you want to save and that we're simply allowed the privilege of proclaiming uh, your truth, and to sharing our personal testimony in the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.